0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn CPA. I'll be here for the next hour to amuse, entertain, titillate, get your curiosity going, educate, share. Those are the words I like to use. I like to say educate, but I really don't like to act like I'm some sort of professor or teacher, even though I do teach a tax class. I am really just looking to share things with you to be that second opinion. Sometimes the devil's advocate, as they say, I want to be the person who gives you pause every time you're told something, especially when it has something to do with your money or your income taxes or your business. I want to be that little person on one of your shoulders. That's saying, Hey, wait, that may not be the only side of the story there may be a second side of the story. That's sort of where I'm at. I like to be helpful. Part of my business is helping people. Well, I mean, all of my business is helping people. I wouldn't have any business if I didn't help people. And as a CPA, it seems directly that I'm helping them usually with filing their taxes, saving them taxes and advising them. I consider one of my jobs just to be a a backup, just to be a a good second opinion, uh, an answer for something if they're not sure. And one of the things I take pride in is the fact that I am aware of things that I don't know. When a client or especially a new client comes to me, I have to be upfront and tell them what I'm good at and what I'm really not an expert at. Just last week, I had a new potential client come in. They had started a business. They were buying a business, and their attorney, I believe, was the one who had told them, yeah, go ahead and shop around and meet a few CPAs and interview them and see if they're right to help you with their business. I talked with a couple of gentlemen that have a new business starting. I don't know if I'll hear from them again. I talked with them last week. But the whole idea was when they're interviewing me, I'm like, back in the days of a job interview, which I haven't been on for years and years and years. So it was kind of interesting trying to sort of sell myself. And I realized that all I'm really selling is my helpfulness and my, you know, honestly trying to help somebody. And I think whatever your business may be, as long as you're honestly working at trying to help that customer, the small stuff just won't be a big deal. It'll all fall together. Things will happen correctly if you're truly just trying to help. That's where I come from, and I thought about that when I was interviewing. It was like interviewing for a job. It was, it was interesting. It was fun. It was nice to talk to somebody brand new and see if I can sell them on something, even though, to be honest, a lot of times you'll talk to a new business like that and you'll realize halfway through this little interview – Maybe I'm not the best person for you. I have a small office. Other accounting offices have multiple staff people, multiple CPAs. I've chosen to go the single CPA path. My business is me doing the work. I have clerical help, but the actual person who reviews and finishes and signs all of the income tax returns is me and only me. That's just the way my office is. Some offices are different. For this purpose, it's a good thing for some people. For some people, it might not work out. If a new business has a lot of heavy-duty accounting work that they're gonna need, then obviously, if I get, if I get so far as an appointment with people like I did last week that I was talking about, if it even gets that far, I would be able to tell them during the meeting, I'm probably not the best firm for you, but here's what I do end up saying sometimes on these type of meetings is, I may not really be the right person to be your main CPA, but I would be very happy to help you with your tax planning. Something to that effect. If somebody needs a huge amount of man hours to do a lot of bookkeeping and accounting type work, like an audit, I was explaining last time that I don't do audits in the sense of like auditing a public company or auditing a school district. I do IRS audits for clients when I have to. Luckily, there aren't that many of those. Not that I'm such a total genius, just that the numbers work out that way. There's only so many tax returns that get selected to be examined. My point is, is that not every business is just right for you and your business is not trying to get every single person as a customer. There's good customers and there's bad customers, but if you are dedicated to helping that person on the other side of the desk or on the other side of the register or whatever it may be with your business, that is really all that matters. Once you are in that place where you're actually just thinking about helping that person it will work out whether they hire you or not whether they buy from you or not it'll all work out that's my theory anyway and I've been in this business here in Chico for over 30 years now well just about 30 years in Chico I've been doing it over 30 years total that is the secret to good business just help people and give them give them what they call increase one of my favorite books is Wallace, it's been a while since I've quoted this guy. I believe his name's Wallace D. Waddles from like 1910. And it's called the something like The Business of Being Great. I can't remember what it's called at, off the top of my head. His point is, is that you have increase. So instead of being competitive where you're competing with your competitors or who you think are competitors... You're actually just increasing other people. And you increase them, they increase you. It could be that you increase them by handing them something from your inventory and they increase you by paying you cash. That's the simplest type of transaction. But increase is the word. You're increased and so are they. In the competitive world, you're always trying to beat somebody. You're trying to take away the guy next door's business. I heard a story, and this was a real good example of a competitive practice right here in in our lovely town of Chico. To make a long story short, I won't mention any names. You can probably put two and two together. A downtown business had scheduled a gold buying day. And this was probably when gold was shooting up in 2011 when it was heading from 1200 up to 1900 It was kind of like gold mania. Everybody was trying to buy gold. So all the stores that bought gold were offering to be the one to buy your gold. If you had gold sitting at home and you wanted some cash, you went somewhere and sold your gold. It was quite the thing there. I believe that was in 2011. The story goes this way. I didn't see this firsthand, so I'm, I'll tell you this is just a hearsay. Uh, It wouldn't hold up in a court of law, but this is the story I heard. This store had done all the marketing, spent the promotional money to advertise the fact that they were doing all the gold buying that. I believe it was a Saturday from 10 to 2, whatever the hours were. I don't know exactly. So what did a competitor do? A competitor pulled up a portable vehicle with a sign on the side in front of the door of that business saying, I'll buy your gold. So the competitor basically stole away the potential walk-in clients of the brick-and-mortar store business to do the gold buying that day, piggybacking off of the fact that the other business, the, the storefront business, had spent the money advertising, spent the money promoting, spent the time doing their marketing. That is an example of the competitive way of doing business. It doesn't pay. That particular person that supposedly did this, if it's true, like I was explaining, this is hearsay. I was not there. It's not a firsthand account, but I totally believe that it happened because it was almost like the gold rush when this was going up and, Not only were people wanting to buy gold, but businesses were very wanting to buy people's scrap gold. That's the competitive way of business. I hope to try to rise above that. I try not to be that strictly competitive. If I offer my customers or potential customers increase, if I offer you, who takes time to listen to me on KKXX, if I can offer you increase, that's what it's all about. There's no expectation that you're going to call me. I don't, it doesn't matter whether you call me or not. I want to increase you, and at the same time, I'm increasing my business. My main thing is that teaching is learning, and if I act like I'm teaching, I'm actually learning because I'm teaching myself. And every time I read something that I've written, I realize that as it sounds like I'm trying to teach the reader, whoever that might end up being, It's actually me that's telling myself what to learn, reminding myself what's important to know. That's the way I come across every time I edit my writing, that's what I see. I'm telling myself what to learn. That is the definition of increase. I learn as I teach. I teach as I learn. And so do you. And so does everybody. So my schedule today, sort of like, I will say like usual, but the stories sort of change, but some of the characters remain the same. I have lots of interesting information for you, for your education and your entertainment. I will point out that I'm not a financial planner. I don't encourage you to spend any money without doing your own due diligence, which means whatever I say, don't believe a word I say, go check it out for yourself. Study, ask other people, get second opinions. Don't ever rely on one person's statement for anything. There's always a motive, and you never know what that motive might be when you hear one side of the story. Today I wanted to start off with just some local news. And as usual, I always find good local business news. There aren't that many places to get good local business news, The Chico ER is my favorite. The News and Review is good, too. I usually consult the ER just to find out what's happening with Chico Business. And I'm curious here because I do drive by this quite a bit. If you go out on Bruce Road between Highway 32 and the Skyway, that whole uh, mostly undeveloped area where the new courthouse is, that's the area this article is talking about. This is from uh, the business section on June 30th, which isn't too long ago. It's about the outpatient clinic off of Bruce Road. So there's an outpatient clinic for the Veterans Affairs being built on that area near the courthouse on Bruce Road. She says that's, the writer says, that's on the north side of the existing courthouse. Okay, so that would be toward Highway 32 from the courthouse. More is going on south of the courthouse. It's all part of the Merriam Park development on the 200-plus acres owned by Sierra Nevada's Ken Grossman. I wasn't aware that this was a Ken Grossman land, but it is, I guess. So developer Dan Gonzalez, Fifth Sun Graphics, juggling the construction of several office buildings in Merriam Park. The foundation has three tenants with two units still available. Under construction are two other professional office buildings close to Bruce Road. They're currently in escrow with tenants to be announced this summer. Construction will be starting on a building for Penny and Associates Personal Injury Firm of Chico. I have seen their billboard quite often, so they must be doing well if they're going to build their own building. Directly across from the courthouse and then the commercial and office area is being called the Thrive District, playing on to the ability to thrive at a livelihood. So that's the Bruce Road area, so that's good that there's construction going on. By the way, my former guest on Business Buzz, uh, Jim McCall, the general contractor I heard from a friend who talked with him today, and he is so busy, he can't do anything. He's so busy doing remodel jobs. So I think things are going pretty well for the construction industry right now. Now, the other new building, and I've noticed this also because it's sort of close. It's actually between the radio station and my office is the new Christian and Johnson on East First Avenue. It's in that old house kind of on the same block as Finnegan's Jug and the spa place about a block from the freeway. We're going to be coming up on the first break today on Business Buzz. But that Christian and Johnson, that's an interesting location because it's an old house with a big picture window. I've seen that for a long time. It's been pretty abandoned, I think, for a while. But it also has about a maybe a half to, I don't know, looks like maybe even an acre of land next to it that would be perfect for a Christian and Johnson type garden place. I can't remember. The, the nursery. I think it used to be a nursery. Real nice nursery. So that's another new construction going on. That's a good thing. They close the doors on the Vallambrosia Avenue location and we'll be relocating. Yeah, it's on Neil Dow and East First. Please stay tuned. I'm so glad you have a chance to spend a little time with me today. I'm Harold Littlejohn CPA. I'll be right back with more Business Buzz.
1: Rock House Dining and Espresso, now featuring Jamming for Jesus, a Christian Jam Night. The first one is Saturday, June 23rd, 5-8pm. to Rock House is located only 2 miles past the hardware store, in Yankee Hill on Highway 70. Originally built in 1937, Rock House has served as a restaurant, tavern, shower house, barber shop, a gas station, and a cafe serving yummy and creative vegetarian offerings as well as a fantastic Reuben and French dip sandwich. Yum! Don't forget the awesome iced coffee and fruit smoothies. Rockhouse is looking forward to hosting more Christian musicians. Enjoy dinner specials every Saturday night at Rock House Dining and Espresso. That's Rock House Dining and Espresso on Highway 70 in Yankee Hill. Hi, this is Rob Walter, host of Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is a program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness and where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free. Those held hostage behind the Iron Curtain of a shamelessly biased media. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Join me at 7 a.m. on KKXX. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. here on KKXX.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm here trying to have a nice day here with you. I hope you're having a great day. Another lovely Chico day. I really can't beat this weather. It's a little too hot, and these fires are not good. I was away for a couple days, and I wasn't aware of how bad those fires are. I saw some news today, and I hope everything goes better for that Berryessa one. looks really large, and I, I always hate to see the Things going on with these fires and houses lost, and what a mess. So for business news, what more business can we talk about? Well, I've always got interesting topics for you, and one of my favorites, which you know I'm interested in because I've brought it up before. Yes, it's our old friend Elon Musk and his wonderful company called Tesla. Now, I do have some clients that own Tesla cars. They love them. They will not ever think that they don't like their Tesla, so I'm not knocking the cars themselves. I'm wondering about the share prices of a company like Tesla when things just seem to go kind of wacko. There's one, uh, this, this first article is talking about that here's the deal this model three was going to be the people's tesla i mentioned this before it was going to be the electric car under forty thousand dollars that was going to finally open up electric teslas to the common man because these cars are so expensive that the regular ones are you know i don't know eighty ninety thousand they're very expensive The Model 3 was going to be the one that, you know, like Henry Ford's Model T, was just going to revolutionize electric cars. Here's the problem. In order to satisfy the backlog of these orders that got ordered when this first car was first announced, they promised that they would be building 5,000 cars per week by now. And what the problem is, is that recently they have said that they are producing 5000 but they're using terminology called factory gated and it seems like they really didn't make the 5000 figure so let me just uh try to summarize this uh here it is one of the biggest mysteries to emerge from Tesla's mad dash scramble over the past week to hit its 5000 Model 3 production quota in a week, was the question, what is a factory-gated model, and why are so many of the Model 3s produced by Musk not quite production quality? In addressing this question yesterday, Vertical Group's Gordon Johnson offered this explanation. Tesla mentioned that it reached 5,031 Model 3 cars, or quote, factory-gated production, in the last week of June, While the company said it has used the factory-gated terminology all along, we were not able to find this term in any SEC filings or public transcripts. However, looking to LinkedIn, it seems factory-gated may mean cars that require further testing and quality inspection upon leaving the factory floor. This would mean these cars are likely not, quote, full production vehicles, end quote, in the traditional sense of auto industry terminology. So to make a long story short, this company that has this stock that's f- flying high in the air per, for share prices, whose investors think this is a great company, they promised 5,000 vehicles a week out of this Model 3 production, and it looks like the only way they got it by saying they got it by June, which is when it was promised, was to be sending out cars not quite finished. So I'm going to continue here. The implication of the above is that in its rush to produce as many Model 3s as possible, Tesla was slashing quality control corners and not producing fully quality control compliant units, which while perhaps permissible when producing less sophisticated goods is clearly controversial to say the least when the product in question is a car that already has a spotty record of crashes and safety. But while Johnson's speculation sounds accurate, is that really what happened? Now, courtesy of Business Insider, we not only have confirmation but also evidence that Musk's quality controls transgressions were especially acute. According to the report, which was based on internal Tesla documents provided to Business Insider by what appears to be a whistleblower, quote, Musk appears to have asked engineers at his Fremont, California factory to remove a standard brake test called the brake and roll test from the tasks Model 3 cars must complete in order to move through production. In order to maximize output and hit hit the company's weekly output quota, Musk went all out, eliminating what he considered non-critical tests to push out as many cars as possible. The test was apparently shut down before 3 a.m. on Tuesday, June 26th. According to a person familiar with the matter, it's unclear why this particular test was halted. While Musk uh, clearly thought the test was redundant or at least of secondary importance, others disagree, and according to one industry expert, the brake and roll test is a critical part of the car manufacturing process taking place during its final stages. The test ensures that the car's wheels are perfectly aligned And it also checks the brakes and their function by taking the vehicle's engine up to a certain RPM and observing how they react on diagnostic machines. Here is the report. Well, I won't bore you with all of the details, but just to make a long story short, and anybody who knows more than I do about this fiasco called the Tesla that wants to tell me I'm wrong, please do. It sounds like this, it was so critical that this Musk person got this 5,000 cars per week officially declared that he had to actually cut out a hugely important brake test in order to make that happen, which to me is sort of shocking when you have a car that, as I've told you about in other reports here on Business Buzz, they blow up, they, they burn like super high temperature fires. Quite a few people have died. They crash into trees for no reason. It's just not right. And the only reason I'm telling you this is I'm not in the car business. I'm not planning on buying a Model 3 Tesla or any Tesla. My point is this. You may have a stockbroker who within your portfolio of your money has... A fund, you may be owning a mutual fund that has a large amount of Tesla stock inside that fund, or you may have Tesla stock by itself in your retirement account and not even know it. That's my point, and that's why I tell you these stories. You should at least be aware of where your money is and what it's based on. This is the kind of company that could go to zero in no time. If, if things don't go right, If they can't deliver all these cars, this article also goes on to even mention it's not only the supply side of this problem where they can't get the cars finished. It may turn into a demand problem where people are just canceling these pre-orders because it takes so long to get the car they wanted, they can't wait any longer. There could be a big backlash when these cars don't come out. A bunch of people will just say, well, I I don't want one anymore, and they'll cancel their order. And then, of course, that's like, a, that's like a spiral. It's like an endless circle. It's like an animal eating its own tail. Uh, supply goes down, demand goes down. Pretty soon there's no sales at all. And a lot of the analysts that I read and the ones I try to share with you, a lot of them are saying that the cash burn at Tesla is so fast, if they go through their cash too fast, they could just end up being bankrupt. Very interesting, very interesting. And I hope you at least take my advice and start looking into these kind of things. Ask your broker if you own any Tesla. It would be interesting to see if you do. Because I believe the stock price is somewhere in the 200 and somethings per share. And some of these analysts think it should only be worth about $90. So I think they're saying there's a 60 to 70% overvaluation I'm not a financial planner, I'm not a stockbroker, I'm not an attorney, I'm just a, merely a CPA trying to help you think about protecting the money that you work so hard to save. It's not easy to save these days. You need to protect what you do have and what you've already saved. Now the next segment of the show, we're going to expand our horizons a little bit. And we're now we went from Chico to Fremont, California. Now we're gonna talk about the whole state news of California. This one's real interesting. I'll see you on the other side of the break. We're gonna talk California politics and sort of business in a roundabout way. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back. Oh!
1: Hi, this is Rob Walter, host of Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is a program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness and where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the Iron Curtain of a shamelessly biased media. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Join me at 7 a.m. on KKXX. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. here on KKXX. Mr. Rogers? Yeah. I like
0: you. I like you, my dear. America is falling in love with Mr. Rogers again. Entertainment Weekly raves it's the movie we need right now. Fred's Theology was Love Your Neighbor and Love Yourself. It was a communication right into their hearts. Mr. Rogers' faith has inspired us all.
1: Thank you for whatever you do to bring joy and faith to our world today. Please. Won't you be my neighbor? Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Now in theaters everywhere. My name is Lola Silvestri, and I'm going to be 95 this year. I was very independent. I fell, and I had to have meals on wheels. America, let's do lunch.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you have a chance to spend part of your afternoon with me. We're going to talk about an interesting thing coming up on the November ballot, and that is the radical plan to split California into three states. When I interviewed John Cox a couple of months ago, that was before the June primaries, We were talking about the fact that even if California was split into three states, that would still be three large states. California is the number one population state and I think it's got about 40 million people. And the way they've done this potential division is there's three states with about, they divided it up by population and it's about 13 million per. The point of that is that that would create three states that are still larger than most regular states. I don't think most states are more than, you know, 3 or 4 million a piece average. I'm not sure how they average out. Probably 2 or 3 million if you ignore if you ignore the top 5 which would be I believe it's California, Texas, Florida, Illinois and Pennsylvania, something like that. If you drop those 5 out, the average of the other 45 are probably only four or five million each my point of that is this our representation which is well it's actually debatable whether we're even represented to be honest but theoretically we are represented by our elected officials so we have Doug LaMalfa here in this area in the US Congress in the House of Representatives So California, having all this population, has lots and lots of representatives. But half of the Congress, the other half of the Congress, we have the House of Representatives and we have the Senate. Now the Senate is more a representation of states. Each state has two senators. I find it kind of odd that a state, I looked this up, I don't remember Alaska's population, but I looked up and I saw that Wyoming's population... I believe is less than a million. It's very lightly populated. But that state is represented by two senators, the exact same number of senators that California is represented by. Half of our Congress is based on two votes per state. What I'm trying to get at is that California the people of California are represented by 20 million people per senator in the Senate, whereas Wyoming, each senator is only representing something like 300,000. That, whether it's unfair or not, that is the way the Constitution wrote our setup of our government. My point is, is that if California were to break into three states, the one advantage of that would be that our California population, those people here, would now have the equivalent of six U.S. senators instead of two. To me, that would be the main benefit of this change. I do fear that the bureaucracy level of three news, two new state capitals would end up being three times as much graft, corruption, waste, and stealing as there is now in one big government. I'll take that back, maybe double, because with these states being a little smaller, maybe they wouldn't be quite as much theft in dollars as there is going out of one state of California, which is huge. Don't quote me on that. I'm not a district attorney, and I don't play one on television. But I guarantee there's lots of money being stolen out of the California government tax money. There must be. If anybody can prove me wrong, I'd be happy to, happy to be, I would be very happy to find out that I'm wrong. But I guarantee I'm not. What do you think about that? Three Californias? there'd be a Northern, a California, and a Southern California. The last time this happened was when West Virginia was made a separate state out of the original Virginia, and I believe that was in the 1860s, if I'm not mistaken. What do you think of that? The borders of this proposition? I mean, I've seen these in the past, and I've seen different splits, but I never bothered studying them because if it wasn't on the ballot, it's not gonna, nothing's going to happen with it. It's just a proposal that somebody drew up some lines This one actually has the lines drawn. Regular California will be from Monterey to Los Angeles with a very narrow strip along the coast. Northern California will be everything north of that. And Southern California will be everything south. And I believe the way they divvy that up, it ends up being equal in population. You really won't have a separate mix of things. I mean, the way I'm looking at it, since Northern California will include Sacramento and San Francisco Bay Area, you're not going to have a conservative Northern California-style state of Jefferson State. Southern California looks like it'll end up being probably the most conservative. It's got Fresno, Bakersfield, Riverside, and San Diego. I guarantee the regular California will stay very, very, very liberal because it's got Los Angeles and don't forget Hollywood, that wonderful place where all those wonderful people make those wonderful movies. So it's got Los Angeles up to Monterey along the coast. That That'll be an interesting state. I'm just... I'm just interested in seeing this go because I've never seen a ballot issue like this before. Whether it'll happen, even if it passes, there's all kinds of hurdles it has to get through. It has to get through the state legislature and the U.S. legislature because there's lots, I don't know all the rules on this, but there's lots of constitutional limitations to splitting a state. I'm not sure who in Washington's going to be against this or for it. I guarantee, like I was talking about the senators, I guarantee the senators will be against it because any time you add, if that turns into 104 senators in the Senate, which it would because there'd be two more states, that dilutes each senator's power because right now there's only 100. I'm not sure who in Washington would be against this if and when it ever happens, but it'll be interesting to see what happens when something like this gets voted on. I just thought it was really interesting to see a, a, a state ballot initiative to split the state. Of course, the way they're splitting it, like I say, it doesn't really result like in Northern California being the state of Jefferson, uh, far from it. I think, I think the population of the Northern counties that might want to go more conservative would be totally outweighed by the, by the Sacramento and Bay Area Section of that new state. I don't say that's good. I don't say that's bad. I just say that's what I think I am now going to move on to some national news before I get to my fun part of the show Which is the final segment where I get to share with you My favorite book and I've got some more of that coming up today also, but before that I Have a very interesting article. It's from late June And the place I've got this from is called the SRS Rocco Report, S-R-S-R-O-C-C-O Report. I've been listening to this guy for a long time. I've been reading a lot of his articles. He's very statistically oriented, and he studies market, like stock market and gold market. He studies them based on uh, statistics, uh, things like that. So the article is, Total U.S. Public Debt and Interest Expense Hit a New Record High. Anyone of you who knows me, you know that I love this topic because debt is so big that it'll never be repaid. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to all this debt? Who's going to repay it? You know, you and I can only work so hard. We can only work so hard and pay so much tax. My clients can only pay so much tax. Who's going to repay all the 21 trillion? So, I'm just going to read a little bit of this article, and I wanted to talk about a trillion because I don't think anybody realizes how large a trillion is, and it's fascinating to me. The total U.S. public debt hit a new record high of 21.145 trillion on the last day in May. As the U.S. debt increased, so did the interest expense, which jumped by more than 26 billion in the first seven months of the fiscal year. That's correct. The United States government forked out an additional, an additional $26 billion to service its debt October through April versus the same period a year before. While the U.S. debt reached a new high on May 31st, it took nearly two months to do it. Let me explain. During tax season, the total U.S. public debt actually declined from a peak of $21.135 trillion on April 10th to a low... Uh, well, what he's saying is, when the tax when the tax uh, money came in, it actually lowered the debt temporarily, but then it went back up right after tax season. So, the interest expense from October to April a year ago, in other words, ending April of seventeen, went from that was two hundred and fifty seven billion dollars. It ballooned to $283 billion through April of this year for those same six months. Now, here's an interesting point. The U.S. government paid an additional $26 billion to service the debt than it did last year, and that's only over seven months. Now, $26 billion may not seem like a lot of money these days, but it could buy, get this, it could buy the Total Global Registered Silver Inventory. In other words, what all these places claim to hold in silver could be bought just in the extra interest the U.S. government has paid in a seven-month period. Thus, the extra $26 billion paid by the U.S. Treasury to service its debt would have purchased the one-plus billion ounces of silver and all the global silver electronic-traded funds. And this would include the 138 million ounces of silver supposedly stored at the J.P. Morgan vaults. Hmm. Well, we're coming up on that last break. My point with that, and I'm going to get back to talking about a trillion as soon as this breaks over, is this is a lot of debt. It's going to be very tough to ever get it repaid, let alone the interest. I'll be right back on Business Buzz. Stay tuned. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is the Legal Edge: defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Dickus. The discredited Southern Poverty Law Center
1: is providing tech firms with left-wing biased information on so-called hate groups. In fact, many Christian nonprofits, including Pacific Justice Institute, are on the hate group list. It is critical that the tech industry realizes that the Southern Poverty Law Center is not a neutral source and that it places people and groups on its hate list who simply have good-faith disagreements with the SPLC on policy positions. Even journalists on the left have accused SPLC of now greatly profiting from intolerance.
0: The Pacific Justice Institute provides legal representation to individuals without charge. Learn more at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org.
1: It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes and you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids work listening to the radio. You're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my. I read that wrong. <laughs> They can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test. Because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. If you need any kind of help with your income taxes, financial, second opinions, whatever you might need, feel free to contact me. You can email Harold at hlittlejohn.com and you can call me at 895-3353. I have a small office. It's summertime and if you leave a message, I will get back to you my final segment i promised you a little bit of a discussion about a trillion which i think is important because if our basic national debt is 21 trillion and if you add on things like social security and medicare debt which is like another couple hundred trillion you're looking at a lot of large numbers but most people pass it off like oh a trillion they think they think you just said a billion or something well I want to discuss what a trillion and a billion and a million are. So we're going to talk about a million and a billion and a trillion in the world of time in seconds, because everybody can relate to what seconds are like. You know how long a second is. Well, one just went by. One million seconds equals 11 and a half days. So you think back 11 and a half days, that's quite a long time. That's a million seconds. So what would a billion seconds equal? Well, I'll ask you this way: Are you under age 32? If you're under age 32, you've only lived for one billion seconds, because a billion seconds equals 31 and three-quarter years. So now we're talking, that's getting to be quite a large number. A billion seconds is 31 and three quarter years. Are you ready for a trillion? Let me preface this by letting you know that a trillion is a thousand billion. Just like a billion is a thousand million. Now remember, a million is a thousand thousand. So each time you go up by a thousand fold, you get to a new level. So... You have a thousand. You do a thousand of those, you get a million. You do a thousand of those millions, you get a billion. In fact, over in Europe, they call it thousand million instead of billion. Now, you take a thousand billion, that's a trillion. That's where we run into this trouble of 21 trillion of debt. We also run into the trouble of the 21 trillion of stolen government money I told you about based on the Michigan State University economics professor's paper. But that's a whole nother subject. So if a billion seconds equals 31 and three-quarter years, and I told you a trillion is a thousand billion, guess how long a trillion seconds lasts? A trillion seconds equals 31,710 years. That's how big a trillion is. If anybody ever talks about our national debt being anything but a complete, total, end of the financial world as we know it disaster, they're lying to you. Because $21 trillion, and I'm doing the math in my head, $21 trillion would be 622,000 years uh, in seconds. If our government paid back a dollar every second of this national debt, and remember, in order to pay that back, you got to pay the interest while you're at it. You know how those credit card balances work. Even if they didn't have any interest to pay on this debt, if they paid a dollar a second, it would take them 620,000 years to pay that $21 trillion back, and that would not cover the interest. Can you imagine just how, think about that. How far gone is this economy? There's only one way to ever pay back 21 trillion. You know how, they do that, they'll, how they'll need to do that? They'll need to pay it back with cheap dollars. In other words, they'll have to inflate the dollars so much by printing more that they can pay it back with dollars that aren't worth very much that's the only way this ledger entry of 21 trillion will ever be repaid mark my words anybody who wants to disagree with me i'm always open to a good discussion it ain't going to happen folks not going to be paid never so that's why you need to rethink your investments i'm not a financial advisor i'm just giving you a good second opinion and a good devil's advocate position You do not want your money sitting in a bank that's probably insolvent. Of course, you need a bank account to take care of things, but that bank is probably insolvent as we speak, especially the larger banks. Now, what happens to banks that go bankrupt? Well, we'll have to talk about that next time because I am on the final segment. You're here with me. I'm so glad you were able to spend some time with me today. I'm going to read to you my favorite chapter from my favorite book. I won't even preface it because I always preface this book, but you've heard enough times now from me, you know what this book's all about, at least the basics. I've been studying it for 10 years. I still don't claim to understand it, but I do, I like it and it helps me. That's all I'll say. I'm going to read you Chapters 27, Section 8, The Hero of the Dream. The body is the central figure in the dreaming of the world. There is no dream without it, nor does it, the body, exist without the dream, in which it acts as if it were a person to be seen and be believed. It takes the central place in every dream, which tells the story of how it was made by other bodies, born into the world outside the body, lives a while, lives a little while, and dies. To be united in the dust with other bodies dying like itself in the brief time allotted it to live it seeks for other bodies as its friends and enemies its safety is its main concern its comfort is its guiding rule it tries to look for pleasure and avoid the things that would be hurtful above all it tries to teach itself its pains and joys are different and can be told apart The dreaming of the world takes many forms because the body seeks in many ways to prove it is autonomous and real. It puts things on itself that it has bought with little metal discs or paper strips the world proclaims as valuable and real. It works to get them doing senseless things and tosses them away for senseless things it does not need and does not even want. It hires other bodies that they may protect it and collect more senseless things that it can call its own. It looks about for special bodies that can share its dream. Sometimes it dreams it is a conqueror of bodies weaker than itself, but in some phases of the dream, it is the slave of bodies that would hurt and torture it. The body's serial adventures from the time of birth to dying are the theme of every dream the world has ever had. The hero of this dream will never change, nor will its purpose. Though the dream itself takes many forms and seems to show a great variety of places and events wherein its hero finds itself, the dream has but one purpose taught in many ways. This single lesson does it try to teach again and still again and yet once more, that it is cause and not effect, and you are its effect and cannot be its cause. Thus are you not the dreamer, but the dream. And so you wander idly in and out of places and events that it contrives. That this is all the body does is true, for it is but a figure in a dream. But who reacts to figures in a dream unless he sees them as if they were real? The instant that he sees them as they are, they have no more effects on him, because he understands he gave them their effects by causing them And making them seem real. How willing are you to escape effects of all the dreams the world has ever had? Is it your wish to let no dream appear to be the cause of what it is you do? Then let us merely look upon the dream's beginning, for the part you see is but the second part, whose cause lies in the first. No one asleep and dreaming in the world remembers his attack upon himself. No one believes there really was a time when he knew nothing of a body and could never have conceived this world as real. He would have seen at once that these ideas are one illusion, too ridiculous for anything but to be laughed away. How serious they now appear to be. And no one can remember when they would have been met with laughter and with disbelief. We can remember this if we but look directly at their cause and we will see the grounds for laughter, not a cause for fear. Let us return the dream he gave away unto the dreamer, who perceives the dream as separate from himself and done to him. Into eternity, where all is one, there crept a tiny mad idea at which the Son of God remembered not to laugh. In his forgetting did the thought become a serious idea and possible of both accomplishment and real effects. Together we can laugh them both away and understand that time cannot intrude upon eternity. It is a joke to think that time can come to circumvent eternity, which means there is no time. A timelessness in which time made real, a part of God that can attack itself, a separate brother as an enemy, a mind within a body. All are forms of circularity whose ending starts at its beginning, ending at its cause. The world you see depicts exactly what you thought you did, except that now you think that what you did is being done to you. The guilt for what you thought is being placed outside yourself and on a guilty world that dreams your dreams and thinks your thoughts instead of you. It brings its vengeance, not your own. It keeps you narrowly confined within a body, which it punishes because of all the sinful things the body does within its dream. You have no power to make the body stop its evil deeds, because you did not make it and cannot control its actions, nor its purpose, nor its fate. The world but demonstrates an ancient truth you will believe that others do to you exactly what you think you did to them. But once deluded into blaming them, you will not see the cause of what they do because you want the guilt to rest on them. How childish is the petulant device to keep your innocence by pushing guilt outside yourself but never letting go? It is not easy to perceive the jest When all around you do your eyes behold its heavy consequences, but without their trifling cause. Without the cause do its effects seem serious and sad indeed. Yet they but follow, and it is their cause that follows nothing and is but a jest. In gentle laughter does the Holy Spirit perceive the cause and looks not to effects. How else could he correct your error? who have overlooked the cause entirely. He bids you bring each terrible effect to him that you may look together on its foolish cause and laugh with him a while. You judge effects, but he has judged their cause. And by his judgment are effects removed. Perhaps you come in tears, but hear him say, My brother, holy son of God, behold your idle dream in which this could occur. And you will leave the holy instant with your laughter and your brothers joined with his. The secret of salvation is but this, that you are doing this unto yourself. No matter what the form of the attack, this still is true. Whoever takes the role of enemy and of attacker, still is this the truth. Whatever seems to be the cause of any pain and suffering you feel, this is still true for you would not react at all to figures in a dream you knew that you were dreaming. Let them be as hateful and as vicious as they may. They could have no effect on you unless you failed to recognize it is your dream. This single lesson learned will set you free from suffering, whatever form it takes. The Holy Spirit will repeat this one inclusive lesson of deliverance until it has been learned regardless of the form of suffering that brings you pain. Whatever hurt you bring to him, he will make answer with this very simple truth. For this one answer takes away the cause of every form of sorrow and of pain. The form affects his answer not at all, for he would teach you but the single cause of all of them, no matter what their form. And you will understand that miracles reflect the simple statement, I have done this thing, And it is this I would undo. Well, that's the way I like to round out the last portion of Business Buzz. It always makes me feel good just to read some of that book. It's called A Course in Miracles. And whether you really believe it or not, it it takes so long to study that it's a very, very slow process. Like I've said before, it's like turning an ocean liner around. It's not something that you do quickly. It's not something that takes a minute or two. If any of this resonates with you, I recommend that you get a copy of A Course in Miracles. You can look it up online. There's a lot of places where you can read it for free. You can print it. Check it out and just see what you think. It's a nice way to make things go better. And especially if you're a business person here and having a stressful day and trying to take care of all your clients and customers and employees and personnel problems. Read a little bit of the course. Start learning a little bit. Do a few of the exercises. Remember the one I taught you a week or two ago. Nothing I see means anything. It'll make you feel a lot better. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Thanks for listening to Business Buzz. I'll see you next time. Have a great rest of your business day. Bye for now. KKXX
1: Paradise K two eighty GL.